Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Courtside with Beelins and Tennis, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Tonight, we have with us an individual that has worked in various capacities in the tennis industry for over 50 years. This guest was the head tennis coach of the Wisconsin Badgers from 1972 to 1981. He was a 2008 inductee into the Wisconsin High School Tennis Coaches Hall of Fame. This guest has served on a number of committees across various levels, more committees than I can count. And this guest has currently been focusing on his company, Tennis Priority, Tennis Priorities, where he works with placing professional tennis coaches at various tennis clubs throughout the Indianapolis, Milwaukee, Greater Wisconsin region, and Chicagoland area. Please welcome to the pod, Denny Schachter. Denny, thank you so much for uh, taking time today and, and going through some of your unbelievable experiences uh, throughout 50 years in the tennis world. Making me sound very old, David, but uh, thank you for having me, and thank you also for all you do for the growth of the game of tennis. Hey, I appreciate that, Denny. So, uh, you know, the purpose of our discussion is basically... Uh, uh, the state of the tennis, a mini state of the union, I guess we can call it. And, you know, I'll start, we'll start at basically a 10,000 foot level. You've been in this business a very long time. You have seen things that work and you've seen things that don't work. Today, uh, where do you think tennis is and, and also where do you see the sport heading in the future? And I know that's a loaded question and I'll let you kind of go whichever way you feel appropriate. you're talking about. Uh, we're going to talk about high school tennis in a few minutes, and high school tennis is actually pretty healthy in the United States. Adult tennis is struggling, and I think uh, uh, it's due to a number of factors. Uh, one, it's uh, an expensive game to play. It's an expensive game to practice. Uh, unless you live in the Sun Belt, where you can be outside on public courts, uh, indoor court time and indoor uh, uh Activities are, are expensive, so consequently, uh, it's a problem there. And then when we compare ourselves to other sports, if you look at uh, soccer, softball for girls, baseball for boys, lacrosse, even kids' volleyball and so forth, pop Warner football, much of their growth is established based on uh, being things going and getting things going in your neighborhood first. And I think the USDA has a, a very uh, has a difficult task in the sense that much of growth of tennis uh, from the USDA level is from the top to bottom instead of from the bottom of the to going to the top. Uh, as, as they say, let's get everybody in our neighborhood playing first, and then it'll grow with a solid foundation. The USDA, in many respects, does it in reverse. And consequently, by the time something gets going, things change, marketing plans uh, divert themselves, and we have a problem. Uh, secondly, uh, one of the things that is a lot of people don't realize is that the birth rate in the United States is the lowest it's been in four decades. And that uh, really affects what happens on a kid's level. Number one, if you have less kids in schools, they are exposed less to sports, and consequently, all the sports suffer. And then the number of sports that are out there have to fight for those kids that are available. Uh, as you know, uh, growing up, Catholic families uh, used to have very large numbers of kids. Uh, that has you know, subsided a great deal, and it's indicative by the 
the decrease in diocese schools and churches and activities. And so you've got the perfect storm. You've got uh, lots of kids that, uh, or I should put it, lots of sports that are out there that kids have a choice to play and less kids. And so tennis is really has to fight for those kids. And we're at a disadvantage, as I mentioned, as is golf, and that uh, uh, it's expensive to play. One thing I always point out, when kids start playing kids' sports, with exception of golf and tennis, it's usually their parents that are the coaches and keep things organized. If a kid wants to learn golf or tennis, they take them to a pro and the expense cycle kicks in. Right. So those two items, I think, are probably uh, the biggest factors. Yeah, and, and you know, you mentioned high school uh, tennis, and you're a huge proponent uh, of high school tennis, and obviously it hits close to me. I've been privileged to be associated with a, a very good high school uh, up in the northern suburbs in Illinois. And, you know, a, a couple things. I, I want to ask you, why do you think it's so important uh, for people to play high school tennis for our sport to grow? And, and also, at the end of, you know, you're answering that question, what are your thoughts on some of the best players in their respective state choosing not to participate in high school tennis and, you know, in the alternative travel play national tournaments? I know each kid's on a, ba- on a uh, case-by-case basis, but just wanted to hear your view on that. That's a great question, David, and uh, I am an advocate of high school tennis. Uh, as my numbers show that there's 349,000 kids playing high school tennis, 189,000 girls, 160,000 boys as of uh, the 2018 uh, uh, two-year period. That's, those are very, very good numbers. And considering that only 4% of players in the United States are USTA members, uh this is low-hanging fruit. If the USDA wants to grow its membership and its influence, we have to address those high school players for continuity of play. So let's say you're a high school player and you graduated, you're going on to college. Uh, there are, uh, you know, well, we're going to talk a little bit about that, but uh, there are things that they can do post-college. But let's say they don't. Let's say they go to a trade school and they learn a skill like carpentry or like uh, like being an electrician or a machinist, but they love the game of tennis. Uh, One of the issues the USDA has to address are those kids that would like to find a way to play and maybe struggle finding a social circle or a location or an affordability for them to continue playing. So high school tennis is the low-hanging fruit out there, and consequently, really, really important for all of us to address and keep those kids playing if the game is going to sustain itself. Uh, Your second question, uh, you hit it right on the head. It's a case-by-case basis on participating in high school tennis. And I think part of it is the strength of the culture of the high school tennis program, uh, the physical location of where the high school is located. uh, some kids won't play high school tennis because they can't get the competition they need because the league that they're in or the location that they're uh, located in doesn't really have strength. If you look at the North Shore of Chicago or suburban Milwaukee, Detroit, some of the affluent suburbs, the uh, quality of play is pretty high, so playing high school tennis Anytime you go out on the court, you're going to have a competitive match and, and be able to play and uh, and have a respectful record and recognition. Uh, 
one of the things that that I've noticed, and and we talk about it a lot in the industry, is the specialization of high school tennis. I think you're only in high school once. Why don't you play? Even if you take a little step backward, if your goal is to play college tennis, coaches will find you. If you're a great kid, a great athlete, and especially if you play a team sport uh, in conjunction with tennis or in complement with, you're going to grow as a person. You're going to have a different set of friends. You're going to have uh, different emotional kinds of things that you're going to go through, and uh, you're going to grow as a person. So I, I guess you can ask me point blank, should kids play high school tennis? Yes, but with the understanding the, quali- uh, the qualifications of location and the culture of the tennis program in your community. Yeah, spot, uh, spot on. I, I agree with everything you say there, and um, thanks for you know sharing your viewpoint on that. It's a it's an issue that um, you know we have almost every year. And again, it's depending on your program, depending where it's located. And uh, appreciate your insight on that. So, the next thing I want to kind of talk about is you know you have all these huge numbers that you're saying play high school tennis, and then not everyone obviously gets to play at the collegiate level. Now, I'm not just talking about D1. There's opportunities in D2, D3, um, junior college. There's a lot of opportunities out there. But a big problem that I see, and I know we've discussed it, is you have all these high school kids playing, then they go off to college. And if they don't play at the collegiate level, we often lose a lot of those kids from continuing to play for a number of years. Now, those kids may get back into it when they're 40 or 50 or whatever it may be, but there seems to me... uh, um, a span of time where if a, a good high school player goes to college, doesn't play collegiately, they'll just have interest in other things. And I think tennis loses a span of time with these kids. I know there's club tennis now in college. There's opportunities as, um, as a young graduate, um, as long, you know, as well as them going, moving forward in their life. Talk a little bit about your viewpoint on how we keep these players who they love the sport, they did, for one reason or another, um, either skill level or by choice, they did not choose to play competitively in college. How do we keep these people uh, within the sport and playing? Great question. And uh, I'm very proud to say that uh, many years ago I was involved in a pilot here in the Midwest where tennis on campus began. For those on the podcast that don't know what tennis on campus is, it's a sophisticated, organized uh, club tennis program where schools with club tennis programs compete against one another uh, on a year-round basis. Uh, up at the University of Wisconsin, 32 teams meet uh, in the fall and in the spring uh, from all over the country. There's a national championship for clubs uh, for tennis on campus. Uh, and when you're on tennis on campus team, you can elect to just take the social aspect of it. You can practice or you can travel. No one says you have to do everything, but it's a great way for kids to stay engaged in the game they love based on the time commitment they want to give. The issue with tennis on campus is I see it. We have 46,000 kids on playing on 600 campuses, but the potential for more is out there. And uh, one of the issues that uh, a high school coach faces, David, you would be in this boat, is you could say to a high school coach, make sure... Your, your uh, players know they can play varsity tennis at whatever school they elect to go to, assuming they're good enough, or they can play tennis on campus. 
And is it the high school coach's job to take care of those seniors moving on and, and keeping them, them informed? You would have some high school coaches that would be very dedicated to that principle. Then you have other high school coaches that say, you know what, kids graduate, my job is to really focus my time and efforts on those kids in 8th and ninth grade that are going to be part of my team coming up. So I don't really care what happens to the kids once they leave high school tennis. That's up to them to make that choice. My job is to cultivate the local programs to make sure I have enough players so I can field both boys and girls tennis. But uh, tennis on campus is a great, viable alternative if kids do not want to play varsity tennis. And there's many, many programs around the country, especially in Division Three, that are always looking for players, and they're always great academic institutions so kids can, can uh, devote time uh, playing college tennis on a varsity level. Yeah, and, and I've seen the tennis on campus, just because it's not varsity sport, don't think that skill level is not there because it is a high skill level. You will get some serious competition. So I'm all for uh, supporting that. <laughs> no question. Okay, I want to shift our focus a little bit to young professionals. Uh, and when I say that, I mean teaching professionals, people who want to uh, teach tennis as their vocation. And I know over the years, it, it, I see it all the time, I read about it, um, the age gets older and older of these tennis pros. And as people retire, we're not filling the professionals with the same amount of numbers with younger professionals. You have a company, um, it's called Tennis Priorities. And it's, like I said in the intro, you help place uh, professional tennis clubs at, at various tennis clubs throughout basically the Midwest region. Um, kind of go into your purpose of doing that and what you see and, and how you run this company and uh, do, you, do you meet with pros in person? Do you um, you know talk over the phone? How, how's the fee play? Do the clubs pay you? Just kind of run with, again, your purpose of this company and, and where you see um, teaching pros in the future. Great question. Uh, David, the, the future for tennis pros in the country is not bright. Uh, several factors. Number one, uh, kids that play tennis uh, and have a passion may consider being a tennis pro or tennis teacher, or high school coach, college coach as a career. But probably 90, 90% of them do not. Once their tennis is done, they look at tennis as a, as a recreation. But as far as a profession, no. There's several reasons. One, a tennis pro is the only tennis, the only athletic teacher that is physically engaged with their students. A golf pro just says, tee it up and I'll look at what you do. A swimming coach blows his whistle. Wrestling coach may get on the mat with somebody, but physically not much. A football coach, rarely do they physically engage. Same with basketball. Tennis, you're feeding balls 35 to 50 hours a week and you wear out. It's hard work, especially if you give a good lesson. So consequently, uh, people that look at that and they look at the hours that the pros work, evenings, weekends, early mornings, uh, is this what they want for a lifestyle? Plus, most clubs uh, cannot pay benefits. Yep. There's not enough money generated for, for benefits, which, as you and I know, are extremely important. 
when you're raising a family. You've got to have benefits. Can't stress that enough. I'm so glad you hit on that. I cannot stress that enough. That's That, I think, is a huge issue. Yeah, there's no question. That, that one is very, very important. The time to reach uh, kids that might go into the tennis business is in high school. You're a high school coach. You identify that, that gym rat that's on the tennis court, and you say, geez, Tommy, you love tennis. Have you ever thought about it as a career? And you get them lit up. And then if we do our job, we get them placed at a club in high school to learn the business, clean the courts, change the nets, uh, play in, teach a little bit, uh, look at the numbers and how things are going in a club, offer suggestions. And by the time they graduate from college, they've got a full-time job and know the business. Unfortunately, there's few and fewer of those kids that, that want to do that. Uh, when I started my business 11 years ago, uh, I did not want to get in a position where I was stealing a pro to fill a, uh, an opening at another club. I would create two enemies. So I stayed out of that. My job was to recruit younger people into the industry. And for a while, it was great fun because there were kids that wanted to do it. Now, when I go speak at colleges and I ask kids, would you like to be in the industry? Uh, very, very few say they would like to do it from a teaching standpoint. They all want to work at the ATP and market pro tournaments, but nobody wants to get their feet wet and do the dirty work and teach people to play. So that's the problem. Uh, recently, I added another service to my, my company, and that is to counsel families uh, with kids that want to play college tennis. A lot of families don't know how to navigate the process of picking the right school, finding financial aid, playing for the right coach, the right location, and uh, those kinds of issues. So I'm out there to help those people. I am always hired by the customer. The clubs hire me to find talent. These families would hire me to help them navigate the process. So that's that's how it goes. Okay. Um, what's your website again? TennisPriorities.com. Yep, I was just on it uh, before we spoke. So everyone go check that out, TennisPriorities.com. One thing, and this is just my own uh, opinion, and it's something that you know that I'm always interested in, is the collegiate coaching aspect of it. And the challenge, the challenges of being a, a collegiate tennis coach is, yeah, at the top major programs where you have a huge football and basketball program that's bringing in money, those top programs, yeah, there's funding there to, to help the coaches' salaries and whatnot and budgets, travel budgets and everything. But outside those top schools, tennis is a non-revenue-producing sport. And this is just, just isn't tennis that I'm talking about. Any non-revenue-producing sport falls into this category and the problems in that when you're not bringing in money and then you're not having a huge football and huge basketball uh, program to help support all those non-revenue-producing uh, sports, there's n- there's not a lot of money in collegiate coaching outside of those big programs. And I hate to say that um, because I love college tennis, and you know how much I love it. And I-, I wish there was some way that we can improve that aspect because I think, like you kind of you kind of hinted to earlier, a lot of people would like to be involved in it, but when there's just not enough money, especially uh, when when you start to have a family. Um, People just don't look at that as a viable option. I think that's really unfortunate. Yes, I totally agree with you. And uh, different people do things in different ways. 
one of the things on the Big Five conferences, as you alluded to, the Division One programs, the TV networks that, that have been established, like the Big Ten Network, SEC, ACC, have really helped sustain non-revenue sports and make them viable because uh, the money trickles down and really helps those programs where they don't have to rely upon basketball and football receipts to sustain them. So TV has really helped non-revenue sports. For sure. Uh, Say at a Division three program, I, a person could make a nice living if they're allowed to keep camp revenue in the summer. So let's say at uh, East Ming University, as a suggestion, you might have a guy uh, coaching uh, men's and women's tennis, but then he has a summer camp that he might make ten to fifteen thousand dollars on, in addition to his coaching salary, that really helps him have a living and a uh, positive effect on the community. And often you can get, yeah, and often you can get when you're uh, uh, an employee of the school, those benefits then become part of it as well. So that helps. Exactly right. So So every every case is a little bit unique. But I totally agree with you. In fact, uh, just recently, within the last two weeks, Valparaiso dropped their, uh, their men's program. And I'm not sure about women's, but I know the men's program got dropped. And a bunch of us were trying to get a hold of the athletic director to try to save it. But I guess it's a done deal. And their their premise was, hey, we give tennis this amount of money. They don't have a television network. So we're taking the money we spend on men's and women's tennis, and we're going to put it toward football and basketball, which are the most visible sports in our uh, collegiate program and make sure that they can compete. So there's different ways that ADs and boards look at it, but that was a sad note uh, when Valpo dropped uh, uh, men's tennis because Jim Doherty, the coach, there's a phenomenal guy and has great kids every year. So that was a sad deal. I did not know you were going to touch on that. And, um, yeah, I, I'm going to keep some of my opinions to myself because that was very upsetting to me. Obviously, I'm friends with I'm I was friends with the assistant coach who used to be there at the time. He's now an assistant at Baylor, and um, he recruited a couple kids in my program, and and one of them went there. So uh, when I saw that and heard about it and talked to to the guys, uh, it was very very upsetting to me. And uh, I, like I said, I'm going to keep few of my comments to myself here, but thank you. Um, Denny, uh, we've been going over 20 minutes, and, and with your experiences, we can talk forever, but I know we wanted to start and kind of hit on these uh, these items, and if, if you don't mind, I'd love to, to have you back on again when we want to address... Um, you know, other items in the sport of tennis, you have so much experience, you've been involved in the game forever, and you add so much value, and you do so much to help grow the game. Really appreciate your time doing this, Denny. David, it was a pleasure. Uh, I could certainly be cleaning the house, which my wife wanted me to do. So uh, this is a a great alternative. And I thank you for your time and all the best moving forward on your projects. Hey, thanks, Denny. I appreciate it. We'll talk soon. Okay. Thanks. Bye. That was Denny Schachter. Again, been in the industry for over 50 years. He has had so many cool experiences with this sport, and I hope you enjoyed hearing his viewpoints on these few bullet points that we addressed today. And as always, stay tuned for another guest on Courtside with Beal and Tennis, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. You can find us on iTunes, Google, Spotify, and Stitcher. Thanks, everybody. Bye.